Hey friends, welcome back to the Fielder Church Podcast, where we are hoping to go deeper, get practical, and equip you to exhale the gospel wherever you go. This is the fourth episode in a six-part series that coincides with our Prayer Is series that we're going through on Sundays. I'm your host, Eric Sostre, and I am back here with Lead Pastor Jason Bredis. Jason, hey, thank you so much for uh, being back on the Glad show. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. And today we have a lot of ground to cover over this topic. So I got my Bible right here with yes. me. I'm, I'm ready. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so lots of ground to cover about the reality of spiritual warfare as it relates to prayer. And I do remember as you were going through kind of that sermon planning process, uh, originally the intent was prayer is preparation for spiritual warfare. And the week of it switched to prayer is war. So can you talk a little bit about the development of what that was like as you were thinking through and preparing for this message? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so really it was the the idea of preparation is heart and mind getting ready for spiritual war. And I, I got afraid as I was, as we were detailing out how that was going to flesh out for the church body that there's already a prevailing mindset that uh, prayer is the warm-up. Like, okay, mm-hmm. we're about to eat, so let's pray. You know, it's kind of our yeah. stretching before we eat, and God gets the glory. Or, uh, you know, there's the big football game, so we're going to get down our knee and pray for a little bit, and then just hope that, you know, God comes through at the right moment. And so it just, it feels like for so many of the things that we do, we treat prayer like the the preamble. It's the, it's a thing before the thing. And uh, I just wanted to make sure that didn't become a pervasive thought, because as you look at the scriptures, as they talk about uh, what war is, you see that the the act of prayer is the warring itself. And so to combat any kind of false notion of what it would be, we just said, no, let's let's clarify this. It is it is absolutely getting your heart and mind in the right place, but it's not so that you can move on to the next thing. It's you're you're journaling, you're listening, you're praying, preparing yourself for the war so that you can pray, which is the war. So uh, some of that was just trying to make that clarity in people's minds that the end game is prayer, not mm. prayer as a means to the end. Yeah, that's huge. And I know the journey that we've taken as a church has been moving away from let's ask God to bless our strategies to right. prayer is where we see the power of God and where yeah. we see him move. And I think that's been a really powerful movement in our church. And so for the listeners, uh, would you give us just a quick definition of spiritual warfare and what that looks like? Yeah, um, it's a great question. I, I think um, really, when it comes down to it, I almost decided not to put the word spiritual and just, just to say, and I did title Prayer is War, mm. uh, because I didn't want people to confuse it, because sometimes people hear the word spiritual and they think like uh, nebulous, invisible, mm. kind of out there in the heavenlies, but then this is like real life. Right. Um, but it is, it is warfare. It's just not warfare with human weapons. It's not, mm. it's not guns and bazookas and tanks and... Uh, it's warring in the heavens, and so you know. Uh, in the have a little, a lot of tabs here because I think this is gonna. It's great. Uh, it's, it's gonna need to be in the scriptures, but Ephesians six, it talks about verse twelve. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So this idea of wrestling and fighting and warring is saying that there there is an actual war taking place. That though it's invisible, you can't see it with your eyes does not make it any less real. Mm. And uh, if it is if it is real, then it's it's war, which means that we're trying to conquer somebody who's trying to conquer us. And so uh, right now, in this moment, as we're sitting in, in these two chairs mm-hmm. and wherever people are watching or listening from, there is a war taking place that they cannot see, where there is a real enemy who's trying to get them, trying to kill, steal, and destroy, trying to take them out. 
And we are called to fight against that enemy uh, and recognize the fact that this is not times of peace. This is not like, let me go sit in my hammock and hang out, but I've got to war because the enemy's not stopping. And so I need to come back against the enemy and fight with the weapons that I've been given yeah. because right now there is a war waging and prayer is a means by which we fight that war. Mm -hmm. And so often for me, I know it's easy to look at my circumstances or maybe look at the conflicts that I'm having and say, it's that person or it's that thing, that circumstance that I'm fighting against. When in reality, with what you said out of Ephesians, it is an invisible enemy yeah. that we can't always comprehend what he's doing behind the scenes. And so can you talk a little bit about who that enemy is mm -hmm. and why is he considered an enemy to us? Yeah, that's that's great. Uh, and there, uh, I think there are sometimes there are terms we use in, you know, Christendom yep. uh, and we talk about the enemy. And I'm sure there's somebody that's like, who's this enemy we're talking about? You know, like somebody from the outside who might not know. So it's, it's ex exceptionally important that we clarify yeah. the enemy. The enemy, if you look at scriptures, is referring to the ancient serpent, the devil. He shows up in Genesis chapter 3. Here you have Adam and Eve, and things are going great with God. They're getting to be with him in the garden. Life is perfect. Uh, and then there's this enemy in there, this person who doesn't want this to take place. Uh, this serpent slithers onto the scene and tries to tempt them not to trust in God. Mm -hmm. And so as you read to the rest of the scriptures, and there's some debate about exactly who Satan is right. as the accuser. Uh, but uh, most conservative theologians believe it's referring to an angel who fell from grace, who decided to rebel against God, created by God to do the good work of God, and he ended up revolting against God, wanting to have the position of God, and so was cast out of heaven along with those who were with him, uh, and these angelic powers became the spiritual forces of evil that are warring against the forces of God. And it's important to recognize it's not like, um, it's not like, good versus evil, and we don't know which one's going to win. You know, it's God and all his power and glory and an evil that doesn't match up with God, mm. but who, who, for whatever reason, doesn't realize he doesn't match up with God and right. so constantly fights against God. And his main purpose and goal is to thwart the plans of God to bless his people. He doesn't want God to be glorified through the praises of the people. Therefore, he doesn't want the people to be blessed so they won't praise God. And so his constant job, going into the garden, Adam and Eve, um, I'm, I'm going to try to get you guys to no longer experience this communion with the Father so that you won't give glory to the Father, because I want glory. I don't want him to get glory. And so he throws in a lust for a forbidden fruit mm -hmm. so they would doubt God and turn away from him. And uh, and from that, and of course, it worked, as we know, and they did eat the forbidden fruit and were cast out of uh, the Garden of Eden. And then the rest of the storyline of the Bible is God restoring relationship with them, overcoming the tactics of the enemy. Uh, but over and over and over again, all the way until the present, he is still playing the same tricks, trying to get us not to believe in God. Mm. Which really, I think, um, you know, if you think about the victory of the enemy, where he wins the most, it really comes into that place of thoughts. Uh, you know, uh, the, the chief place, I think, that the enemy wants to win is to get us to deny the omnis of God. Uh, you, there, are, there are these uh, omnis, those who are like more theologically minded, mm -hmm. you know, I know you just... Your seminary, mm -hmm. like that yep. whole... Uh, did you finish up seminary yet? I uh, you... still got a few years left. Okay, a few years yeah. left. <laughs> All right. It's great, though. You're yeah. learning and growing in We're the midst of it. There. But you talk about the omnis of God yes. in seminary. Mm -hmm. he's, he's omniscient. He knows all things. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. Yep. Uh, another omni people don't always use, I think is really important, is omnibenevolent. He's mm -hmm. all good. And these are the things that the enemy wants us not to believe. So he, he doesn't want us to believe that God is omnipresent. Like, no, God's not really looking at your sin right now. You're cool. Go ahead and step into this. 
he's not omniscient. God doesn't really know what's good for you. So you should, you know, this is good for you. You should do this. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's not um, omnipotent. God, God can't care for you. Don't trust in God. Take care of yourself. Mm. Uh, seek what will please you because God won't please you. And probably the most important, uh, I mean, the enemy wants to get us to believe that God is not omnibenevolent, that he's not all good, that his motives are wrong. God just doesn't want you to eat this fruit because he knows you'll be like God, the knowledge of good and evil. He's trying to hold you back. And these lies that the enemy plants in our minds are to get us to doubt the omnis of God, because if he can do that, we won't give God praise. And Mm. so that's his goal over and over and over again. Yeah. And so it sounds like what you're saying is... As we think of warfare, often it's these all-out assaults. It's the planes, the tanks, the full frontal assaults to whatever's going on in our lives, uh, where what you're talking about seems a lot more subtle and very subversive. And so with that, what are some strategies maybe that the enemy does use to attack as we're thinking through how he's specifically going after those omnis of God? Yeah, I I um, think—let's see if I have a passage here— I was thinking through this. Um, w- one of the main ways that the enemy works is, I think the chief way, is through the implantation of lies in mm-hmm. our thoughts. If you go to John 8, uh, it talks about, he's, he's talking to the Pharisees and the people who are rejecting him. But in verse 44, he says, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We were just talking before the podcast started about language and mm. background and like w- what we're fluent in. And yep. uh, both of us are Hispanic, yep. and but we both spoke English first, and Spanish is a second, maybe a, you know, long distance second or long distance, distance for me. We're getting second, there. We're getting there. But like you know, we're more fluent in English than in Spanish, both yes. of us. Um, and that, that's our fluency is English. What he's saying right now, the devil's fluency is lies. That's mm. that's the language he speaks. He is a father of lies, and that is his, his very character. And so what he does constantly is implant these lies inside of our minds to get us to doubt God. There's a great book here. I brought a number of books here, but uh, it's called Winning the War in Your Mind by Craig Rochelle. Uh, read this one not too long ago. The subtitles Change Your Thinking, Change Your Life. But the way he talks about it, he's, this war that he's referring to isn't just like this mental ascent kind of war. It is... The enemy right now is he is he's going after you, implanting mm. lie after lie after lie in your mind, and the only way to combat that is with truth and you know God's word and God's truth, and so uh, we have to recognize the enemy. He's not going to generally speaking be like the exorcist, head spinning, pea suit <laughs> being th- like he doesn't generally work that way because right. that's too obvious, and the church would rise up and seek spiritual help if they saw something that that profound. He, he much prefers to work in subtlety, mm. because if he can work in subtlety, then it's, it's unknown, it's, it's hidden, and therefore we don't seek help from Christians, we don't seek help from God's Word, we just start believing these lies, and they create these ruts in our minds that get us to very unhealthy places. And so uh, I think if we think about the tactics of the enemy, that, that's the main tactic. It is subtle, lie, believe this, don't trust God, and if he can get us to begin to clamp down on those lies, then he begins to win. Yeah. And so because the primary battlefield tends to be in our mind in these subtle spaces, it's so easy to get into this position of, I don't think I've ever been attacked by Satan. So how would you differentiate between spiritual attack from the enemy and just the consequences of living in a broken world? Yeah. You know, I think um, in my mind, it's it's lie versus truth. That's That's the one way you know whether this is just I'm living in this world and these are the consequences of this or... 
this is actually the attack of the enemy. Mm. Because if it's uh, the brokenness of the world is a truth. The, the world is broken. People are evil. We're selfish. Um, every single one of us are hardwired that way, and we have to fight against it constantly. And so if we see brokenness and evil in the world and we recognize what it is, there's truth to that. Uh, and that's that may just be a consequence. Uh, you know, natural disasters come to not every single tornado is the devil coming in to do something. Right. We live in a world that has these features in it at present. And so if I know, uh, if I understand truth, understand science wind how it all works you know mm -hmm. i can go okay that's that's what that is yeah but there are moments when um there are and i can recognize them if i stop long enough and think about it that this is a lie this is not true uh, a lie would be god doesn't love me hmm. a lie would be god made a mistake when he made me a lie would be i've got no purpose on earth like these are things that when i stop and i think about scripture and i think about truth i can easily see these are not true uh scripture teaches me otherwise and every time I see a lie, I know this is an attack from the enemy. This isn't just because I'm living in a broken world, because I can still recognize truth and see a broken world and know that's just that's just reality. Right. But every time it's a lie, and it's a lie, oftentimes when they come like, where did that thought even come from? Like, well, we can know where that thought comes from. Yeah. It's an implanted lie from the enemy trying to get us not to believe the omnis of God because he doesn't want us to give glory to God. And so I think that's one of the biggest ways we can know. Is it spiritual warfare or is it just mm -hmm. a broken world? Is it truth? Is it a lie? Those will be, I think, the main way we distinguish. Yeah. And so there's a discernment element that goes into that. And so for many of our listeners, this may be the first time that they're hearing any of this and really their eyes are open to the fact that there is an enemy who is at war against their souls. So is that something that as Christians we should be afraid of in any way? Yeah. Um, so I think your key, you said, is, is as Christians. Mm -hmm. um, I would say as Christians, no. Uh, as unbelievers, yes. Mm. So I, I mean, I, I would say, and I, for anyone listening, um, there's a there's a good chance there are people who think they are believers in Jesus who aren't. Uh, they think they're believers because they've grown up in church, because they like Jesus. They would even say they love Jesus. Uh, they know about Jesus. Um, and they live in a what they would call a Christian nation, whatever. And so they think, no, I'm good. I, I'm a believer. When in reality, unless a person has come to recognize their own sins and repent of those sins and trust in Christ to forgive them and, and give him control of their lives. They're not, not a genuine believer. And if they're not a genuine believer, if they're just a cultural Christian or not a Christian at all, I think, yeah, there is very heavy reason to be afraid because he is a lot wiser than we are. He's been around a lot longer than we have. Mm. And therefore, uh, he's better at what he does than we are in defending ourselves from him. But if we're believers in Jesus then I think unequivocally the answer is no, we don't, we don't have to be afraid because Christ has already secured the victory. Mm -hmm. And there are so many passages of Scripture that teach this. And I, uh, you know, a, a ton of them come to mind. But one of the chief ones, uh, if you were to go to Hebrews chapter 2, uh, one of the best ones that talks about this in verses 14 and 15, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, talking about Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So people were held held in slavery by the enemy who said this, I, I can kill you, I can destroy you, I can do whatever I, I want to you. And people were enslaved to that fear. And then Christ comes on, takes on flesh and blood, dies on the cross, frees us from that fear, and now we're no longer slaves. Why? Because we have victory in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, I don't have to be afraid of the enemy. I don't have to be afraid of death. I don't have to be afraid of what he can do to me because I know I've been set free. Uh, another great one, 1 John 4.4 4, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 
That's one of those you just want to high five somebody and go, <laughs> yes, praise God. Yeah. He who's in me is greater than the one who's in the world. And the one in the world is referring to Satan. He's not going to conquer me. He's not going to overcome me because I have Christ Jesus in me and I can win. Oh, another one of my, my favorite ones. I don't even know if I have this one marked or not, but uh, see if I can find it. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10, three through five. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy every argument and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We, we wage war against the enemy, and we have divine power to destroy the strongholds of the enemy. And so we don't, we don't have to be afraid. I can conquer him. I, I, he is overcomable. I, I think there's another passage. I want to find this one because I don't want to miss it. Uh, maybe in Colossians. Let me see if I can find it. But there's a passage of scripture that just talks about, oh, here it is, uh, Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses, the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all of our trespasses, by canceling the record of it that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And here's my favorite mm. part. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Like he, he put them to open shame. Like mm. he filleted them up, and here they are, beaten, destroyed. Put them to open shame. Well, I don't have, if, if they're already in open shame, I don't have to be afraid of them. And so that's, I think this is the greatest truth that we have in Christ is that, yes, the enemy is crafty. He knows how to implant lies. He knows where our weak spots are. But if I'm in Christ Jesus, I've already got victory. I don't have to be afraid of him. I do have to stand up against him. Uh, and, and everything that, that I think the spiritual warfare idea comes to is saying, I, I need to learn the tactics of how to fight against him because victory is mine, but i got to pick up the war and I, I've got to fight it. And, um, and you know, honestly, I, I brought some other books here, too, that I, I've been reading a ton on this. Uh, this is a book called The Invisible War by Rob Randall. It just goes through uh, a lot of ways that we fight this, just scripture all over the place. There's another one uh, called The Bondage Breaker by Neil Anderson. Uh, and talks about how, how we overcome negative thoughts, irrational feelings, habitual sins, all these places where the enemy has gotten us where he wants us, and there are ways to combat them. Mm. Another one, uh, Spiritual Warfare by Dr. Carl Payne. Uh, th- a lot of these have just been like eye-opening books for me where I'm going, okay, I don't, I don't know if I agree with 100% of what's in here, sure. uh, but I'm learning and growing, and they use a lot of scripture, and I'm going, okay, well, there's a, there's a lot of truth in here. And so mm. I want to constantly learn how the enemy's working so that I can war against it because I know I have victory in Christ. There's one, um, one last book. This is called The Screw Tape Letters one uh, of my favorites. by C.S. Lewis. Yeah. I, I've just, just destroyed this book here. <laughs> it's an old book. But uh, I just read this for the first time like uh, a month ago or a couple okay, months yeah. ago. And just the way it, it gets into the mind of, of how the enemy would, would work and the ways he would contort and distort reality and truth, I think is very telling in uh, how to recognize these things, how we war against them. Mm-hmm. If we have victory in Christ, that, that shouldn't compel us to sit back and be lazy. It should compel us to pick up our arms and fight. And I think that's more than anything the scriptures want us to know. We have that victory in Christ, so let's pick up our arms and fight. Yeah, and Colossians 2, that passage is one of my favorites because... You mentioned that one of the enemy's names is the accuser, and what he uses to accuse us is our record of debt against uh, God, against Christ, and thinking through what salvation does for us. It cancels that record of debt, nails it to the cross, and we are free from from that bondage, and he can't use that as a weapon against us. And so as we're thinking through that, the passages that you brought up really reveal this tension of we have victory in Jesus— but there's still a fight today. Yeah. So how does prayer play into that fight as we're moving forward day to day? Um, you know, I, I think the, the passage that we read in 
Second uh, Corinthians. Oh man, I got so many tabs here. Where am I at? Second um, Corinthians chapter ten talked about taking every thought captive. Mm-hmm. Um, weapons of warfare, not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. So this is talking about the work of Satan. He's going to raise up arguments and lofty opinions that are going to try to confront the knowledge and the truth of God. And it says, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Uh, and so there, there is a work that we have to do, a mental work that we have to do to take every single thought captive, which means I have to examine my thoughts. I have to take the time to say, what is this thought? Is it true? Can mm-hmm. I trust it? Does it agree with Scripture? And if it does, do I... Do I feed into it? Do I linger on this thought? Do I dwell on this thought? Or do I recognize it as a thought from the enemy and I need to discard it? Mm. Uh, and I think, I, I just, I don't think there are many people who take the time to do that mental work. I think um, people view prayer as a list. Like, okay, here are the things that I need you to do, God. I need you to heal my aunt. I need you to uh, give my son a good grade on this test he's taking. Right. and. Uh, my leg has been swelling up a bit, Lord. If you could heal that, that'd be great. You know, we, we give them like this list of things that we want God to do. And we don't think much about our thoughts, even while mm. we're praying. But if we recognize that the way the enemy wars against us is by trying to control our thoughts, uh, then I think it would make sense that we should be cognizant of our thoughts, which means prayer should should look a whole lot more like listening than it is like talking. And, and I, I don't think, it, for people, listening feels passive. Like if I'm if I'm listening, um, I you know I'm I'm not doing anything. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just sitting there. And yeah, war is supposed to be like Rambo and you know Thor. And I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be strong and I'm gonna fight and I'm gonna punch somebody. And mm-hmm. when uh, spiritual warfare is actually uh, very very different, it's often internal. It's heart. It's mind. Which means that when I'm taking every thought captive, I am warring. Because it does say that our weapons of our warfare are not of, of the flesh. Not, they're not human in nature. They're not physical in nature. Uh, they're spiritual in nature, which means it's going to look very different. It's going to feel very different. And so I talk about journaling a lot. And uh, one of the main reasons why is because I believe journaling is a warfare element. I, I sit often in the morning time and I, I'll say, Lord, examine my thoughts right now. Expose to me where are my thoughts broken and where do I need to repent where do I need to excuse certain thoughts and where do I need to dwell on good thoughts? And so I, the moments where I just let the Spirit of God convict me of sin so I can confess it and I can get rid of it. Mm. Uh, you know, First John 1, 9, if, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all my unrighteousness. But I have to confess them. I can't confess them unless I know them. Yeah. And I only know them when I take the time to mentally work through what's going on in my mind. Am I taking every single thought captive? And when I do, I am warring against the enemy. And so I'm sitting on my back porch with my journal, just looking out into my backyard, and I am warring against the enemy. And no one would walk up and go, dude, that, that guy's warring right there. Mm. But I know I'm warring because the scriptures tell me I got to take every thought captive. That's how I war. There are times when I get on my face and I'm just, I'm just face to the ground, laying on the ground, bowing before the Lord, and uh, I am, I'm letting God control my thoughts. And I am... Every thought that comes that is a distraction, I excuse it. I say, I, 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 I let release that thought. And I come in and say, Lord, bring, bring truth to my mind right mm-hmm. now. And I'll, I'll be on the ground for <clears throat> 10, 20, 30 minutes just letting the Lord control my thoughts. And I'm waging war. Yeah. Uh, this is warfare. It's God is 
taking every single thought captive. And I'm not letting the enemy have victory in my life. And I'm letting God tell me where I need to go, what I need to do. Mm-hmm. And, and these, these simple kinds of things are how we wage war through prayer in uh, what can maybe feel like passive activity, but I think can mm-hmm. be one of the most strategic things we do. Yeah, and I think that's where the reframing of this idea of prayer is war, is we're having to look at what are the tools God has given us and how are we supposed to utilize those really well. Uh, And I know that there are so many other things that we could talk about, but I do want to get us towards a wrap up. And if there was one or two key takeaways from this particular message or anything that you would like to share with our listeners, what would that be as it relates to spiritual warfare? Yeah, I think I think there are, there are two sides to it that it would be really important to learn how to grow because I think most people would say, okay, I, I hear you, Jason. Uh, I believe what you're saying is true, but I don't know where to start. So two things I would say to start, the daily practice and then the kind of infusion uh of, this is a terrible term, but spiritual steroids, you know, like this is <laughs> a way to really build up spiritual muscle. Um, yeah. And so I think w- one without the other becomes ineffective. Okay. Uh, so the daily one is what I was talking about a second ago, where I daily mark out an extended amount of time to linger in the presence of God and let him take every thought captive. Mm-hmm. I, it's a, a work I do, a mental work where I'm journaling, I'm thinking, I'm praying, I'm letting God speak to me. And I think uh, we need to have that practice coupled with the reading of Scripture, because Scripture is truth. And if I'm trying to take every thought captive and align it with truth, if I don't know what truth is, I don't know, I don't know how to align it. Yeah. So it's why my practice every morning is I have, I actually have three parts to it. I have my Scripture reading part where I'm digging into God's Word, reading through the Bible over and over and over and over again from beginning to end. I have a devotional reading time where I'm just trying to allow other thought leaders to bring uh, into my mind clarity on how I apply these scriptures and different elements like some of these books I've mentioned. And then I have my journaling, listening, praying time. And I do those in the morning, every single morning. And those are kind of my, that's my daily, that's me going out for a jog to kind Mm. of keep in a a normal overall spiritual health day to day to day. But what I've also noticed that as I have to couple those with uh, some retreats or special efforts in prayer that really infuse a lot of energy and power into my times of prayer. So we have at Fielder a, uh, a prayer and fasting retreat once a year. It's open to the church body, uh, usually in the March, April timeframe where we get away for three days and we fast and we pray and we just seek the Lord. It's amazing how clearly God speaks when you shut out all social media, shut out all outside contact. All yeah. you have is the scriptures and the Lord and his spirit and other believers who are there. God just speaks. Now, as a leadership team, a number of us go in the summertime and do the same thing for a prayer retreat. Yep. Uh, but we also do prayer efforts. We have uh, Clyde Hodson has taught us a ton about wilderness prayer efforts. We have a 40-day prayer effort, Jericho prayer efforts. We have like a seven-day prayer effort. And these things just infuse a lot of energy and life into uh, remembering why we do what we do. And so um, this this infusion of energy helps keep the day-to-day moving where it doesn't get stale and rote. But if you just do these infusions, then you're not really healthy. You need right. to have the day-to-day. So these two kind of work in tandem. But I, I'd say for anybody listening that the the greatest place to start would be, all right, I'm going to start my daily time where I take every thought captive, and then I'm going to look for the next time where I can participate in a prayer effort or prayer retreat to infuse that life in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if someone's not a part of Fielder, uh, I want them to contact us. We'll give them all our resources. Yeah. Uh, we don't we don't own the market on this mm-hmm. one. We're just learning as we go. But to have those two, and there are many churches and organizations that do prayer retreats, but these two things work in tandem, I think, to help us uh, really begin to discover and war. And I, I hope I'm just at the beginning of this thing. Mm that we are learning how to war and we're going to take uh, this to the next level as God continues to teach us. Mm. 
Well, thank you so much for bringing clarity around this subject that can seem really daunting and intimidating to many, but because we are in Christ, for those of us who have chosen to make him Lord and Savior, we don't have to fear what the enemy can throw at us, and those are really practical tips and tricks just to help us move forward some practices that we can put into play. So thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of this podcast. Please tune in next week as we go into a special episode talking about the power of forgiveness that comes from prayer. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's show. We would love to know what other questions you have about prayer. You can submit those at fielder.org slash podcast. Or if you're watching on YouTube, just leave a comment below. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure to leave a rating and review. That helps this message reach more people in our community because it's our hope this podcast would equip you and many others to live as followers of Christ outside the walls of the church.